SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. In her eagerness to celebrate what is truly a South African treasure, Ms. Nombendulumkatwa made a mistake which is most, most welcome and appreciated in saying that yesterday was the 64th celebration of the adoption of the Freedom Charter. Of course, Mr. Shibambu had a field day in correcting her in that regard. But that does say something about the youth and its appreciation for history. So, Ms. Nombendulumkatwa, thank you so much for reminding us about that, albeit a day early. And I would love to have a conversation with you about your maiden speech in Parliament yesterday in very due course. Nonetheless, today does... South Africa does celebrate its 64th anniversary of the Freedom Charter. The Charter, a blueprint of the political, economic and social structure that the people of South Africa demanded, was adopted in an open field at the Congress of the People on the 26th day of June 1955, today, 64 years ago, in Cliptown. Does the Freedom Charter resonate with the current state of South Africa today? What was the rationale behind the Freedom Charter? And is it still relevant? Its relationship with the Constitution? Is there anybody better to tell us about that than Professor Ben Turok? Professor Ben Turok, who better to tell us about the Freedom Charter than you? Thank you, yes. Do you have an answer to that question? We want to know everything. We want to know about what agitated towards the day in June 55 in Cliptown. What was the response had immediately after its adoption? And what was the anticipation, the demand following its adoption and moving forward? Well, let me go into a little bit of history. We appreciate that. The idea of the Charter was came from Professor Z.K. Matthews, who at a conference of the ANC, a national conference, said that the ANC needs some sort of signpost, some sort of indication of where it's going and what kind of society it wants. He floated the idea and nobody took it too seriously for a while. But slowly the idea sank in, and then the national leadership of the ANC decided that it was a very good idea, and that the country needed a sort of charter. And uh, there there was a document previously called African Claims, which had been adopted just after the war, which was about democracy and so on. But that document was framed largely in the language of the United Nations Convention on Human Rights. And uh, it was more in in the the lines of the UN thinking. And what the ANC wanted was a document reflecting ANC thinking and South African thinking. And so a group was established called the National Action Council in Johannesburg which consisted of representatives of the whole Congress movement, which then was the ANC, the Indian Congress, the Colored People's Congress, the Congress of Democrats, and the South African Congress of Democrats. Five organizations Mm. were called the Congress Alliance. And the National Action Council uh, set itself up and asked a a couple of them to draw up a, a, a document called the demands for the ch- a call a call to the people a call to the people i was uh, that time full time working for the alliance in cape town and um, we received this document the call 
And we were told that we had to go into communities all over the Western Cape and ask people what are their demands, that's exactly the word we use, their demands in the Charter. And we had meetings in Stellenbosch, in Worcester, in Powell, in all over the, the Western Cape, large and small. Some of them quite large in big townships, some of them quite small. And at all these meetings, we had uh, representatives of the Congress movement, and I myself attended quite a number of them. And uh, we addressed the people, and we said we want a democratic system, and what would the people want in that system? And so people got up and said, we want uh, to end passes, we want housing, we want wages, we want jobs, and so on and so on. Many many demands were put forward, which we wrote down. Every single demand was written down on a piece of paper. And at the end of the campaign, we sent all these pieces of paper up to Johannesburg. And this was repeated all over South Africa. So thousands of pieces of paper landed up on the desk of a group of people in Johannesburg, who then put together the Freedom Charter on the basis of these demands. Of course, they edited it and made it into nice language and so on. But basically, the charter consists of complaints and demands that people have made all over the country. Well, I was very active in this particular campaign. And then, to my astonishment, I received a letter from Johannesburg to say that the Congress of the People will be held in Clifton on the 25th and 26th of June. And uh, which, by the way, happens to be my birthday. Happy birthday, Prof. To Rock. We'll <laughs> sing happy birthday for you at the end, I promise. Lesejo, my producer, is going to get on to it. Yes. So, you know, it was a birthday present. But uh, in the letter, I was asked to speak on the economic clause in the Charter at the Congress of the People. And being a young activist, cater, slightly precocious, I was very nervous about all this, but anyway, you were asked to do something, and you have to do it. Get on with it, yeah. So people from all over the country got into buses, into trains, into cars, traveled to Johannesburg, and the police were very unhappy about all this, and they stopped many cars. They interfered with trains, they interfered with lorries, they actually arrested people on the way. So quite a number of people were stopped from going to the Congress of the People. But we managed to get through, and uh, we arrived in Joburg, and uh, as, as, then as one of the speakers on one of the ten clauses, I was invited to a meeting of the speakers on the night before the Saturday, Friday evening. And at that meeting, we were given a draft of the Charter. Mm. And uh, I looked at the economic clause, and I was a bit unhappy about the clause, and proposed an amendment. Uh, I'm afraid I was a rather precocious young man. And, I mean, this document had been drawn up by the top leadership of the ANC, and here was I, a youngster, uh, <laughs> um, questioning a formulation in the economics. And uh, so they asked me what my reservations were, and I explained and um, I, they said, okay, if you don't like it, draft an amendment, which I did. This there is and then. 
And Billy Nair from Durban agreed with me and seconded my proposal. And I drafted it there and then, and the meeting adopted it. Beautiful. And uh, that is the clause that was then finally read out at the Congress of the People the next day. And that is the clause on which I made my speech. And that is a piece of history. Which clause in particular are you referring to? I have the Freedom Trader right in front of me, yeah? It's the people's share in the country as well. Aha. You've taken me right through to my next question. Right. Because it says, The national wealth of our country, the heritage of South Africans, shall be restored to the people. The mineral wealth beneath the soil, the banks and monopoly industry, shall be transferred to the ownership of the people as a whole. All other industry and trade shall be controlled to assist the well-being of the people. All people have equal rights to trade where they choose, to manufacture, and to enter all trades, crafts, and professions. To an extent, there is a tone that speaks of nationalism here. Would that be a fair assessment of things, albeit 64 years on? Well, yes. You see, my view then, and even now, is that the colonial history of South Africa is the preeminent contradiction in our society. That the wealth of South Africa was taken away from the mass of the people. It's not only the land, it's everything. And uh, so under apartheid, the wealth was taken away from the people. And going back centuries, the people did own the wealth. Mm. You know, people were farmers and cattle farmers and this and that and the other. And uh, agriculturists of one kind or another. And in that sense, they were owners of wealth. Yes. But under apartheid, they were prevented from owning that wealth. And the wealth was taken by a minority. And so when I read the clause, the draft clause, Mm. I felt that that element was missing. And that's the, that's the amendment that I made, that it sh- the wealth should be returned to the people as a whole. The importance of the phrase, of a whole, mm-hmm. it's not returned to the state. I was not in the, in the mind of a socialist uh, nationalization. That wasn't in my mind. Sure. It well, was a colonial reversal, a decolonization, if you like. I accept. Could it be interpreted? And that's why it's wealth to the people as a whole. I understand. Okay. Let me read what follows that. Restrictions on land ownership on a racial basis shall be ended, and all the land redivided among those who work it to banish famine and land hunger. The state shall help the peasants with implements, seed, tractors, and dams to save the soil and assist the trillers. Freedom of movement shall be guaranteed to all who work on the land. All shall have the right to occupy land wherever they choose. People shall not be robbed of their cattle, and forced labor in farm prisons shall be abolished. Let me ask this particular clause, Professor Turok, in the context of the narrative, strongly driven by the EFF, and I'm not so sure if the ANC is at all committed to it, the land question and the expropriation without compensation. Is that, after having read this clause, cons- is the, 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 this new policy consistent with this clause? If so, I mean, if not, rather, to what extent is it not consistent? You know, I think that the clause that was in the Charter reflected an international view at the time, that the land shall be shall be for the use of the people who work it. That was the idea. Mm-hmm. 
The idea was that where you have feudalism, as you had in some parts of the world, that the people who work the land should have the ownership of it in feudalism and not feudal owners. And where you have a capitalist agriculture, that the workers should have rights where they're working and not like in South Africa to be virtually slaves in the land as they work it. Because what happened under apartheid is that working in the economy did not give you any rights or any ownership. It was dispossession. Mm. And mm. so it wasn't just the ownership of the land. It was actually the means of labor and the fruits of labor. And so the clause was written in that spirit, the international spirit, that people who work on land or indeed work anywhere are entitled to a share of the proceeds. Mm. That was the idea. In fact, the key idea, the key word in the whole of the charter is the word share. Unlike the PAC and some uh, black identity people these days, who want all ownership to be for Africans, like say black, but they mean Africans. The idea of the charter should be that the fruits of South Africa, the land and the wealth and so on, should be shared with all its people. May I ask a question, please, Prof? On that, on that, and let's assume for a moment I'm wearing the cap of that of a pan-Africanist. What is objectionable about that particular position? That the land shall be returned to those from whom it was taken. In this case, it was taken from African people. The context Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Okay, so what is wrong in the PAC saying return it to the people from whom it was taken, not share? What is wrong is that it's not feasible. You see, in 1965, in 1965, 69, when the ANC met in Morogoro and discussed the question of the whites, the formulation used, this is, this, is, this is 1969, the formulation used was that whites are settlers in a historical sense only, not in a contemporary sense. So the conclusion of the ANC was that if, if it comes to Indians and comes to whites and comes to colored people, mm. these are not people who are settlers in a modern setting. Yes. They're actually citizens of the country. And whether you like it or not, even though there was this huge dispossession, and that's absolutely true, what you say is absolutely true, there was this theft. Yeah, let's be frank. Yes, of course it was. Yes. But history moves on. And history has created virtually a multicultural society. And there's no way that you can unscramble it now. No way. It would be impossible. And indeed, all the signs are even now that if we handle the land issue carelessly, we will have a hell of a problem. I mean, take the commercial farmers. You know, South Africa is, is not yet food self-sufficient, but it can be. Mm-hmm. And it's on the basis of white commercial farmers. And if we start doing a Zimbabwe thing here, we will have the same outcome as in Zimbabwe. Look what's happened there. 
So what, what Mugabe for, did not realize is that if you dispossess the white farmers in, in Rhodesia, you're going to kill your, your economy, which is what happened. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that we are unable to reverse the history insofar as white occupation is concerned. We can do quite a lot. But you cannot really reverse history. What can we do when you say we can do quite a lot? Well, yes. Look, you know, the failure of the ANC government with respect to land reform is overwhelming. I mean, I was in Parliament and I saw, I heard speeches by Google and Quinty, one after another, about land reform and about this and that. The ANC government really failed to do anything. It was just hot air. Report after report after report that nothing was done. The fact of the matter is that this is a rich country. We have a lot of resources. We need to use the state to empower black agriculture. Take the, take the homelands. Mm. What we have done there is, is atrocious. I agree. People are... are not only dispossessed by white farmers, people are dispossessed by traditional leaders. And continuously, dis- and continuously disempowered. Dispossession is one thing. It might be even um, translating to a physical sense. But disempowering is the inability of the state to make the necessary interventions to skill up, to grant access, and all other social aspects of still deriving value from land. Well, why the hell not, you see? And the question we have to ask now is before you interfere with a fruit farmer in, in, in the Western Cape, a great farmer or a fruit farmer who is producing for exports and well-needed foreign exchange and so on, and who's efficient and so on, before you interfere with him, shouldn't you first empower the people in the homelands and in all the peri-urban areas around our cities who want to farm, smallholders, who are very keen to do some farming, but particularly in the in the in in the, in what we in the homelands, mm. it is atrocious. I have been in the, in the Transkei and the Siskei and so on, and looked around and I see there's very little farming going on. Prof. Turoka, I come from these areas about which you speak. And I can tell you, I'm born 84, 10 years old, 94. So Shiloh Irrigation Scheme, from where I come from, Whittlesea. There were mothers, there were fathers who could derive value from the land because they would go to work and come back with bunches, be it potatoes, cabbages, and carrots. Lois and I, my older brother, would walk some three kilometers, buy five liters, a pail of milk, and come back. It was there. It was functional. And consistently... It deteriorated to the extent that it was fallow land. Even the property physical structures of were left to run and decay, and those who could help themselves did. Is it fair, if not up, 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 is it fair, if not downright the truth, that the ANC simply never had its finger on the pulse as it pertains to how it would address the land question? And it for failed. Tw- one, two. It failed. Okay, we agree on that. Yes. Why then does the ANC sell us this dream 
that they now want to expropriate the land without compensation because they are seeing the tides and strides made by the EFF as we lead to May 8. Because nothing has been said by the ANC following May 8 as it pertains to this policy that is now had been adopted as it turns in, in, in the context of amending Section 25. President Ramaphosa is silent and when he does speak he contradicts himself. Many quarters of the ANC don't want to touch this because it is not the DNA of the ANC to take this land question on and to take it on head on and it has failed you have said that no one can tell us this more than you have just told us i quite agree but the reason for the expropriation issue is is not so much the successful white farmers there is a lot of fallow land which is not being used and that should be expropriated you see i think there is space for expropriation I think that if it, what we need is a land tax, we need a heavy land tax on any unused land. If a farmer is producing food and that food is, is, is successful and even exported, leave him alone. But if he's got land which is fallow and not used, take it away, expropriate. So I think there is room for expropriation of unused land and which you turn over to African farmers. I think there's place for that. So to that extent, I agree with the whole idea. Does the establishment have the wherewithal to do even just that? Well, look, you know, in terms of the law, you can expropriate, and you, you don't have to pay the market rate. You don't have to pay the market. You know, look, sure. if they want to build a railway line and there's a house in the way, you go and expropriate that house. No problem. You pay them a, a fee that you decide, and uh, I, you know, I'm, let's not be—we're not talking about market forces here. The state decides. You, if you want to expropriate and you give some compensation, the state decides what is a fair compensation, and that's it. Finished. Is our constitutional jurisprudence, in your understanding, ever in a position to allow what you have just said? In that, yes, it oh. does. Section twenty-five does allow it. I have read it a hundred times, and Section 25 gives you a lot of scope. And indeed, the whole debate, in my view, and not just my view, they are very, very distinguished lawyers. People like Albi Sachs and various distinguished constitutional court judges. Former you chief, say you do not have to change Section 25. Former constitutional court judges in. Former Deputy Chief Justice Dikang Moseneke has said that the contemporary Dikang Moseneke, the contemporary Pan-Africanist in Advocate Mugai Tobi is saying that. And there isn't even an enabling instrument where there's an obligation per Section 25 to enact laws that create an environment that makes it attainable and accessible for South Africans to understand what it is in terms of explaining Section 25. The ANC has not done that. But why not? Why not for 25 years? What has been the stumbling block? You know, I sat in Parliament for 20 years and listened to Gugile and Quinty, he's my friend, he's a nice man. And I listened to him and other people talking about land and so on. And I was totally unimpressed, totally unpersuaded. And they went on and on with elaborate plans and elaborate schemes and consultants and whatnot. Frankly, they were scared to tackle the land question head-on. Why? They're scared of the traditional leaders. They're scared of the, of the king. 
and uh, they're scared of uh, all kinds of Contralesa. And, uh, you know, the former head of Contralesa was my friend. Uh, what's his name? Uh, from, from the Transkaya. Nogonyan? Chief Mwere yeah, Nogonyan? No, no, the other one. Uh, um, Mr. Olomisa? Yes, he was the head of uh, Contralesa. Mr. Patagila Olomisa, that's right. Yes, now he's my friend in Parliament. You know, we talked a lot. And uh, the anti was scared to antagonize these guys. That's where so the votes lie. Political fear was the one that uh, inhibited them. And But we should put that behind us. The time has come to be bold. And And I think that people like you and like myself, we should be demanding action on the, in the homelands against traditional leaders who are crooks, and and also the 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 uh, land which is not being farmed, which is you know around Johannesburg, mm. which I know in a way better than Cape Town because I I lived in Joburg for quite a few years. Mm. If you go to Hutterbeersport Dam and around those areas, there's loads of land which is not being cultivated. You know, grasslands, and and and. It's not being cultivated. That's where people should be farming, and we should get African farmers there and subsidize them and give them all the needs, everything they need, the support, and and, and all that. Make them successful. Two more questions for you, Professor Turok, and thank you so much for indulging us. This has been a wonderful history lesson for me at a personal level, and I would imagine it's the same for many South Africans who are tuned in right now across however many divides that this discussion is going to bring because we are talking to Professor Ben Turok and talking about the history of the Freedom Charter. Specifically, now we're talking about this clause, the land shall be shared among those who work it because it is a sticky point right now and it's politically relevant given the ties that are taking place. In 1952, I might add, in the context of history, Today, in 1952, it was the official launch of the defiance campaign, which I would imagine its attitude and vigor and fire would have led to what we are celebrating now, the launching of the Freedom Charter. But let's talk about the land question, um, Professor Turok, especially as it pertains to rural land under the custodianship of uh, chiefs and headmen and traditional leaders and the like. I have a colleague who complains and makes a very valid point, legally, economically, and the like, even politically. He says where he comes from, across the road, you have farms that do commercial activity and attract title deeds and become instruments of trade and become instruments of wealth, of property ownership, and unlocking whatever economic potential that comes from having just the basic title deed. Across the road, one end is South Africa, on the other end is the Transkai, let's say, for ease of reference. You have property that devolves from chief or from family to family and it's communal. You will never find the surveyor general there. You will never find title deeds. And this is what keeps the people across the road from the farmer in that abject poverty. And yet, there is no reason whatsoever those spaces there cannot fall under the surveyor general and giving people title deeds who can then use those instruments for unlocking wealth driving economy why is that i think that you know i was involved in the parliamentary committee which was led by Khalema Motlante, 
and we had people there, experts on land land reform and the rural areas and so on. And the conclusion that we came to is exactly what you're saying, that you want title deeds and you want security and you want to be able to uh, get loans and to, and to have ownership. And the chiefs are against it. And, you, you know, the Ngonyama Trust is an example. And uh, I'm afraid that Ramaphosa has to bite the bullet. And the ANC has to bite the bullet and say that if we are going to liberate South Africa from agricultural speaking, they've got to do it. Otherwise, we'll be in the permanent desert as we are at the moment with the the homelands being a kind of refugee camp. It's intolerable. Professor Ben Turok, thank you so much for your time. Happy birthday. Lesejo, do you want to play that song for Professor Turok, please? (laughs) Thank you, Prof Turok. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Okay, good night. Good night indeed. 2142, happy birthday, Professor Ben Turok, one of those who helped us achieve the constitutional settlement that we now enjoy and the genesis of that is the adoption in 1955 26th day of june today 64 years back the freedom charter happy birthday to you let's play him a song before we go to our daily soapy